I believe Help doubt my unbelief I see the cross Oh, teach my heart to cling Hast thou not bid me love thee God and King What a beautiful song. Thank you, Tim. We've We've been journeying together in this series, I don't know, and um, I, know, I know when I put together a good idea because um, as I say it out of my mouth, Tim Coons gets really excited about it, and then he's able to pick all this music and all this beautiful liturgy around it, and it just makes everything so beautiful, and um, this phrase came from a conversation with a good friend of mine uh, who just was, in one of those really honest moments, said, I, I don't know what I believe. And I remember sitting there and just, it just resonated with my heart. And we've sort of been on a journey talking about this scholar named Phyllis Tickle, who has this great way of saying that every 500 years, the church goes through a yard sale. And it's laughable and it's funny, but um, the perceptions of people change and institutions go through reawakenings and change. And it explains a lot in church history why we have the Reformation and why we have um, the Great Schism and then why we have the Great Monastic Movement. And then um, she argues that we're in a moment of incredible change in the life of the church. And I just see it everywhere, this shift of perspective and mentality, this opening up in new, fresh ways. And, and this is not bad news. This is good news, that we can be new and fresh people. And um, so I tried to break it down for us. There, there's so much to say in a topic like I don't know. And uh, I've broken it down by, I talked the first week about spirituality. And I talked about renewing the purpose of why we worship, that this is a worship center, a place that's a catalyst for your spiritual life. And that you should feel inspired and sort of this catalytic energy inside of you when you come here for this hour every week um, to live your life in the world where our true spirituality happens. Um, and then I talked last week about um, rationality and these changing perceptions around um, so how we learn and are, are, are we people who just sort of get content dumped on us by uninspiring lecturers or are we people of great questions? And are we seeing the sacredness of every question and being a community that's inspired to question and to question and to search for ever new ways to understand this incredible God? Um, and this week I wanna talk to you about morality and this shift I see going on there. Uh, so will you join me in just a short prayer? God, I thank you for this moment, for this time. And I pray, God, that uh, my words would help inspire. I pray that they would inspire an ongoing conversation among us in our families, that um, there would be disagreements and agreements and more questions, and we would just be in awe of this incredible thing called church that never is ending. It's, it's like a horizon, God, of ever new understanding of your love, of your grace, of your design for all of us. It's in your name we all pray, amen. Christianity has an image problem. These are the first words in a, a weighty book by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Christianity has an image problem. They go on in their three-year research to write this book. They went on to, um, to look at 12 national surveys and then to interview thousands and thousands of people from the age of 16 to 29 and to do kind of qualitative research on the public perceptions of Christianity. Uh, this was a landmark book, an important book called Unchristian. 
And unchristian has a lot to teach us, but one of the main points of unchristian is when they surveyed all these people and did all this work, they came to the conclusion that most people outside the doors of Christianity think that Christians and the church is judgmental. And when they use this word judgmental, they don't mean they sort of make good decisions about things. They say that they act as if they're morally superior, they exclude others, and they make quick decisions about other people's morality. So this is like a huge, like, ouch, wow. And some of you, it resonates with of your experience with some Christians. And in fact, one quote from the book um, that, of an interview from a young man said this, Christianity has become bloated with blind followers who would rather repeat slogans than actually feel true compassion and care. So in the public perception of Christianity, people are feeling that the, the church makes people feel less than, left out, or put down, this type of judgment. The, the qualitative research, the numbers as they put them all together, they said nearly nine out of 10 young outsiders, 87% said that the term judgmental accurately describes present day Christianity. And so what this means is that um, as you go into your neighborhood, as you go, as you work with your coworkers, as you go to the grocery store, every young person that you see and introduce yourself to and say, I'm a Christian, um, nine out of 10 of them have this, oh. And this is incredible to think about in our nation. This shift has taken place that, that the church has become more known for its judgments than its compassion. Wow. And so um, what I want to say today, most of all to you, is um, I want to say that if you have ever been felt, if you've ever experienced from another Christian less than left out or put down, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say that if you've ever felt morally judged for the decisions you have made in your life, I'm sorry. If you've ever felt that the church wasn't a place where you could be who you are, where you could express what you think, where you could really struggle with this incredible thing called God, I'm sorry because I've heard way too many stories of people and people in situations where they felt judged. They felt pushed to the margins of what it means to be in church and it breaks my heart. So from the view of 90% of outsiders, Christianity has been less than, has treated them as less than left out or put down. And then uh, the, the gospel of Matthew, the New Testament has four stories of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each story is a, an art form. The individual or the community sort of selected and shaped the stories of Jesus that were around and they put it into this narrative story. And each one has these really neat different emphasis and it highlights and opens up a different level of how we understand Jesus. And so the gospel of Matthew does this incredibly beautiful thing that the other gospels don't. It has this theme that runs throughout because I'm convinced as the church makes this change, this new yard sale, one of the things that happens is we throw out this um, awful perception that we're judgmental and we become what we always should have been, people of great compassion, people of great grace. And so in our communities, we no longer are known for our judgment but for our love for the Christ-like compassion that just burns from our hearts to one another. And so Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he says this incredibly strong words, me krinate, which um, means do not judge. It's a command. 
It's this power, the most strongest way you can say of getting at this whole point of when you make people feel less than, left out, and put out, this is contrary to what the Christian faith is all about. Do not judge. And so what's incredible about this is I started thinking this week about um, the reasons for, the reasons for why we judge, why it's so easy for us to judge. And um, one of my thoughts about why we judge is that often we judge people to feel better about ourselves. Often it's so easy for us, especially in this culture, because we're taught that we need to be better, that we need to be best even. We use this language all the time. And instead, um, so we judge because we want to be better, but we're not convinced that we're always better together. So this individualism contained in this judgment leads us to this place of this falsity that the more we judge and feel better about ourselves, we put down someone else. It reminded me of this story um, a few years ago, I was playing football with my cousin. My cousin was nine at the time, and he was this tall, gangly kid who just couldn't really, he was very uncoordinated. And then he had a friend who was about half his size who was just super athletic. And you know this happens as we grow and develop. And, and so they wanted to play football, and so I was the all-time quarterback. And my cousin, he, he just, he was not good at football, you know? And it was just, everything I could do was just trying to help him, but his friend, Every time I threw him the ball, it was touchdown, 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 you know. And about five touchdowns later, my cousin, he's furious now. And we keep trying to say, it's all right, you know, we're having fun. He grabs a football. He looks at me, looks at his friend. He points, he says, I'm quitting and I'm taking my football with me. And we judge because we're so afraid that we're not as good as someone else. We judge because uh, we want to so be better. And, and this type of judgment, it's interesting because it's a movement inside. It's a movement inside ourselves and it creates these behaviors of narcissism. It creates this always competing with, competing with someone else instead of helping someone else become better. And um, I, it also creates this type of legalism in our thinking because as we shrink more and more inward, as we become more judgmental of others, we start this sort of uh, black and white thinking. We create these rules. And these rules become our standard for how we view and judge other people instead of allowing ourselves to be changed and shaped by other people, by their stories, by their backgrounds, by where they've been. And so there's this um, incredibly strong language of do not judge. And I, I've always been fascinated by this, how strong it is. This comes in the Sermon on the Mount. But then um, what, what amazes me is that there's this, this answer to this in the gospel. And as the gospel moves forward, it uh, introduces us to this word compassion. And it does it five times through the next 10 chapters. And it not only just sort of says, you know, be compassionate, but it invites us to see the life of Jesus as the compassionate one, the one who models. Because if, if judgment is this turn inside, this turn of, of competition, this way we get our self-worth as we compete with others, Compassion is the opposite. Compassion is like a heart swell. Compassion is where we grow, where we become more, better people. And so for the next five references, oh, we get this um, beautiful picture, this artistic picture of Jesus, the compassionate one. And it goes like this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then in chapter 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd 
because they have been with me for now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. And then out of compassion for him, the Lord gave to that slave, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him of the debt. And just in case we're not getting this beautiful picture, the narrative is leading us, it's leading us. It says, do not judge. And then it's be compassionate, be compassionate, like the one who came to show us the way of compassion. And then it says, move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they regained their sight and followed him. And this word compassion in the Greek, it is definitely one of the funnest Greek words to say, splagizomai. Isn't that fun? Great. So splagizomai, and it literally means to be moved in the very seat of your emotions for an ancient person, in the bowels. To be so moved by your bowels. So you're looking at me like, you said bowels. And um, what it would mean for us as like modern day Americans is our heart hurts. It's to look at the world and the broke, all its brokenness and just have our hearts hurt for those who are loved, those who are left out. And so isn't it fascinating that we're given this command, but then we're not really given another command other than this moving picture, this, this incredibly inspiring um, picture on the wall that says, be compassionate, look out for the lost and the left out and those who have a poverty in their own heart, those who are going through heartbreak and pain. Our job is to move outside of our hearts and to show compassion, it's so interesting to me that um, as, as commu- in our community life, we can, we can create communities where we are more insular, where we are more judging and judging. And you've been in those type of communities, maybe a, a work group or maybe, um, a, a, gosh, teams are the worst at it, right? Creating this ever-going competition. But the best teams, they're ones that move outward and know that the, the lowest person, the worst person on the team must get better if the team's ever gonna get better. And Jesus asks us to make that movement of our heart to realize that our value isn't in the one-upsmanship game that we play, but our value is in how much compassion we share with others. So there's this beautiful gospel movement going on from this judgment to this compassion. And as I thought about this in my own life, it rings true so often where I'll have these like incredibly bright moments where I'm moving out of myself. My heart is swelling. I'm showing people compassion and love. And all of a sudden, like uh, my day will be going on. And, and you know, usually it's, it's, it's someone cuts me off in my car, right? And all of a sudden, like all that inward stuff comes back and I'm like, I'm gonna go tell them how wrong it was. You know, <laughs> no, not really. But um, you, you know what I mean by that road rage that just seems to snap you out of that outward movement of compassion and brings you into that. And, and several other things, the movement of judging, the movement of um, thinking about someone uh, less than, making them feel less than, left out, or put down. And so there's this movement we're invited to in the gospel to make our lives more whole, to enlarge our lives by acts of compassion. And for me, um, it's not always easy to consistently be a compassionate, graceful person, but I'm committed that I'm going to move my heart outward time and time again. And there's um, some things that have really helped me when I think about this. There's this really beautiful quote by Ian McLaren. It says, be kind, be compassionate, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And these are one of those quotes that helps me kind of jar me out of my judgmental inside inward toll is when I remember that every person I have ever known is going through a battle, that all of us are in this human struggle together. I'm able to sort of make that move outward to be compassionate. 
And then um, I love this, Ta-Nehisi Coates just read this incredible book called Between the World and Me. And this book is a memoir written to his 15-year-old son. And of course, like you had me when, when his, his dad talking to his son. Um, and in this story, uh, his son, of course, they're African-American and his son has all these questions about all the violence that's going on, all the violence on black bodies that we've seen and black lives, do they really matter? And he writes this narrative to his son that's just so moving. And at one point he says this, you have been cast into a race in which the wind is always at your face and the hounds are always at your heels. And to varying degrees, this is true of all of life. The difference is that you do not have the privilege in living in ignorance of this essential fact. And the, the, the Ian McLaren quote, it helps me remember we're all in a battle. The Ta-Nehisi Coates quote, it reminds me that all of us have different stories that our African-American brothers and sisters come from a very different history and our Native American brothers and sisters come from a different history. All of us come from different histories and being compassionate means that we listen to those stories, that we don't put them in a box and we don't quickly judge them, that if we wanna be people who build them up, who inspire and who love one another, we have to remember we're all going through a battle. We're all a part of a different story. And I think the most important thing for me um, when I'm trying to live a life of compassion is then um, those examples, those models, just seeking after examples of people who are able to break me out of that turn inward and, and show me the beautiful model of a turn outward. And um, as you know, many of you know, the Pope came to America a few weeks ago. And this guy is, if Christianity has an image problem, the Pope, is his, his job description is to fix the image problem of Christianity. Um, in his Pope, all his Pope swagger, right? And, uh, and so a couple weeks ago, him and J-Lo have something in common. They both drive a Fiat and, um, and he's driving his Fiat and he's, he's trying to leave the airport. And basically they have a band, like meet him at the airport at like 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, high schoolers in this band. And then um, the band director was just honored that he was chosen. And the Fiat sort of makes a turn around the corner and you see the Pope kind of moving in his Pope gear. And all of a sudden he rolls down the window and you're, you're like, what, what's gonna happen here? And he instructs the driver to pull over to where the band is. And right next to the band, it's just a little area. It's like 20 feet, you know, sort of like uh, partitioned off. And there's a, a 10 year old boy with cerebral palsy. And the story is that this is actually the band director's son. The band director adopted him and his other twin who's, uh, a, a healthy boy and fine, but so they're twins and the family kept these boys. They, he's, they've adopted them for the last 10 years and the Pope sees this, this boy and gets out of the car. He's holding up the airplane and he comes and uh, he, off, he kisses this boy. And um, it's one of those images that you're like, wow, this compassion this non-judgmentalism, this, this swelling of love again and again and again. And it's these examples that inspire us, right? To, to let go of all our legalism, to let go of all our competition with one another and to realize we're all better together. And what, what's so powerful about this moment is uh, the Pope leaves, the Pope goes home and, um, and this one act of compassion sort of triggered many acts of compassion. They, they needed a van, the handicapped accessible van, and it, the dad is a, a band director. He makes $35,000 a year and couldn't afford a van. And so they started an Indiegogo campaign 
And people from across the nation, moved by this one act of compassion, sets into motion compassion upon compassion upon compassion. And J.J. Abrams, uh, the director of the new Star Wars, um, gave $100,000. So if you didn't think Star Wars was cool, it's doubly cool now. And um, this moving outward of love. So the church, as we move forward, we must become people of compassion. We must be known for this is the grace and the compassion, not for our judgments. We must be known for um, telling people they are enough, telling people they are included, and, telling, and building people up. And so um, I've noticed in my own life that this has been really uh, meaningful for me to really just, just to kind of do an analysis of like, okay, where am I really judging? What, why am I trying to, why do I have to put people in that box? Why can't I be open, listen to people's stories, be more compassionate? And it's really been working in my family. Instead of being like getting in dad mode with my kids, I'm learning to just take a deep breath and to like l- see life through their eyes. It's hard to be a, a human and it's hard to be a little person growing up in this incredibly strange world. And if I can see the world through their eyes, through what happened at school and what pressures they have going on and they're a little tired today, I find I can act so much more compassionately than being dad that tells them what to do and tells them to get going. And then with Stacy, I've noticed that um, when I can move out of that type of judgment and I can move into this type of compassionate love, I'm able to see her for who she is. I'm able to see where I can come alongside and help, where we can be better teammates together in raising our family. And so there's this movement in our hearts that the gospel speaks to, inviting us, challenging us, I would say, to move beyond the simple judgments and to move our heart to greater places, to enlarge ourselves with compassion. So I'm in this bar with my good friend, and he says to me, I don't believe. I don't know what I believe anymore. And I've always said, like, you have these moments where you're speechless, it resonates, there's all this change going on in our world, and, and then, like, um, the, the conversation plays in your head for six months of everything you should have said that day. And so I am lucky enough to be able to do a whole sermon series response to my friend, which he's like, Dale, Dale. But, um, and so what would I say to him? What would I say? And I, I said two things last week, but on this morality issue, I would say, um, I would say, I would want to say this to him. The, follow the example of the compassion of Christ. And then I want to say that find a group of Christians that embody that compassion to the world. It, it, it all costs find a community where those people are care about being compassionate and Christ-like. And I guess I want to ask today, would you, would you commit to being those type of people? Would you commit to challenging yourself to move beyond all the judgment and to be people of great compassion so that our community, so that our church would know those are people. Those are people that consistently are Christ-like and compassionate to others.